there, gorgeous listeners. Welcome back to Throwing Shade, Better Living Through Jewish Demonology. Alan, how freaking cold is it outside? Baruch Hashem. It is it's so really cold. cold. It is so cold. It was a good try. We but. are not recording in our usual place. <laughs> We're like huddled up with a space heater. I'm wearing a robe. It is so cold outside. Yes. We seriously need to talk about some demons. Okay. It's the only thing that will warm us in this polar vortex. Awesome. So what are we learning about? <laughs> uh, so, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. So um, we're going to continue our discussion of early human history. Yeah. Um, the untold stories. Right. Well, yeah. they're told. They're just, you know, not it, very Everything's relative. Well known. I get it. Yeah. Okay. Um, in fact... We're going to learn a story from the Baal HaRokeach, the Rokeach, which is, um, it's the name of a safer, but it's uh, Elazar of of Worms, Worms in uh-huh. Germany, one of the Hasidic Ashkenaz from the late 12th, early 13th centuries in Germany. And also like a really sweet Kiddush wine, right? No, I, I don't... Rokeach? Isn't it so? one of those like cheap, massive jug wines that you can get? I know about Verbringen, I know about... Mogan David. <laughs> oh, that's Kedem. good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Some that makes stuff. for some serious hipster cocktail right there. If you say so. It does. I okay. do. <laughs> okay, so from the Rokeach. Um, yes, it's actually brought by the Chida, who we mentioned earlier in a, in a different episode. But yes. um, yeah, so uh, we're continuing our, on from our discussion from Lilith Lil- just a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. Probably return back to her, but there's always more to say about um, Lilith. But we did mention again in a previous episode about how after the expulsion from the garden, Adam was separated from Chava for a period of 130 years, mm-hmm. and during that time, Lilith was uh, had caused Adam Harishon to. Um, you know, be the source of her giving birth to myriads of shading children. Yeah, you and danced quite eloquently around that. Continue. Okay, what should I have said? No, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> she caused him to be the source of her giving birth to all of the... Like, we'll let our listeners, who are very intelligent people, figure it out for themselves. Go ahead. She raped him i mean what do you want me to say like okay you went there great okay anyway go ahead um yeah so um uh the chida uh brings from the rakeach but basically that the there were so many of these very terrible shading Mm -hmm. that were created at this time uh and there they were so fruitful (laughs) <laughs> basically it says paru ravu like the same the same um, oh so as a result of lilith and adam mm-hmm. being together and creating all of the, all of these demons is what they're talking about the, right the paru ravu relationship right they okay. they there were so many of these um that no created being was able to leave any space that they were in they were basically paralyzed out of fear, mipachtam, from fear of these create of these creations, no other created being, right? Um, oh, right. Okay. So, uh, like, so not that there were so many that they couldn't move. It was just that they were 
everywhere and terrifying. Correct. And not that they were taking up the space physically right. or anything. Gotcha. That, that any other non demon, non shade created being was mm-hmm. so terrified of these shade demons that were being created, mm-hmm. they couldn't move. They were basically paralyzed mm-hmm. from fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and these shade demon creatures were, would mix together with the Malachamavis such to the point that um, they were basically going around killing anything that tried to mm. attack mm-hmm. the Shadim. Pleasant. Right? Uh-huh. Um, until <gasps> there is a hero in this story. Ooh. His name is Mesushelach, which is which should be a... Oh, so Methuselah, Methuselah. is how it ends up being in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, Methuselah. Right. Yeah, is how I would pronounce it. Mm. Um, so isn't he the, the if I remember correctly, he is the character in the Torah, in the Bible, who is ascribed with the longest life of anyone. Second longest. Second longest? Well, he lives, nine, he lives 969 years. Adam Rishon lives 970 years. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that's another... Source, okay. but yeah, but he's got he's got he doesn't get so much like screen time in the in the in the Bible. He's not like on air for so long, right? But of the but genealogies, they they also list how long each person lives. Right, he is and the he's longest way number. up there. Right. Okay, and Adam Rishon doesn't list how long he lives, but we know that from different sources. Right, the rabbis often go back and calculate those. Correct. Things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fascinating. So this is sort of filling out that story. Is it? maybe potentially trying to explain why he got such a long life, like what merited that? Uh, I will leave that to you to guess. I will finish the story first. Okay, let's do the story. Um, So yeah, so it says here, um, Mr. Shalach comes, he sees what's going on, and he decides to sit for three days and fast the entire time, Mm -hmm. after which he writes a holy name on his sword. Oh. Uh, one of God's holy names on his sword. Ooh. And then he goes out and he slaughters, he kills. Um, we figured out 1.9 million of these uh, shadim in one moment. Okay. So it, sa- so it says 190,000, 10,000. Yeah. Um, in one moment. Yeah. So using this sword with the name of God on it. Got it. And then until that goes on, until the unnamed firstborn of Adam Rishon, Mm -hmm. who is presumably not a firstborn human, but a firstborn shade, Uh comes to um, Methuselah and begs him to stop. Wow, really? And they make a deal. (gasps) And um, uh, Methuselah agrees. And um, the... On, on the condition that the firstborn shade child of Adam Rishon mm-hmm. um, gives Mesushalach the names of all of the um, shadim and lilim, all of the all of the creatures who are fall under the categories of the shadim and the lilim. Remember, those are two different castes, two different uh-huh. levels in the hierarchy of the shadim. Okay. Okay, and um, he gives over and as well to Mesushalach the kings, the rulers the, um, of these castes mm-hmm. in an iron vessel. He collects them in an iron vessel and hands them to Mesushalach. 
okay? okay. And the rest of the Shadim run away, they flee, and they hide in the hiding places in the depths of the oceans, mm. the ocean, singular, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that sword that Mr. Shalach had yeah. um, was uh, hidden with him when he died. Whoa. With, with Mr. Shalach when he died. Whoa. Okay. Cool, right? Yes. Let's go to a break and then let's talk about all the things. Okay, so in our first segment... Alan dropped this amazing story on us in which one of the oldest people ever to have lived basically becomes this sword-wielding maniac demon demon killer. And maybe that's one of the secrets to his longevity, right? Uh, Your guess is as good as mine. Take that, CrossFit, because that's (laughs) (laughs) CrossFit. (laughs) Or whatever the kids are doing these days. I don't know. Um, Okay, and so he, he... slaughters 1.9 million demons which is in itself just a kind of interesting random number um Mm. and then makes this deal with the eldest in which he essentially gets him to hand over all of the data as it were of the entire demon realm basically right well right and it's not just the data it's the crucial data Mm -hmm. it's the stuff that's now that mr shalach has this information all of the other Shadim are so terrified that they run and in, in hide. They, they go into hiding. Right. So it turns the tables, whereas everybody else, you know, with all of those demons out and about, everyone else was paralyzed with fear. Mm-hmm. Um, now suddenly it's the demons that are afraid and in hiding and unable to act. Right. It'll, well, right. It's not that they're exactly unable to act, but they don't have the, you know... They don't have the control that maybe is what I'm thinking that yeah. they that they used to have, and it allows creation to continue. Yeah, and uh, uh, not being afraid anymore. And yeah, it's not as afraid. Hmm. So there's something about this story that also a couple points reminded me of just the the Purim story as well. Um, so for instance, so Methuselah first of all sits and fasts for three days. Oh right, right, right. Um, before actually picking up this sword and going out and acting, which if folks remember from the the Purim story, Megillat Esther, the story of Esther, um, that she also does that. She does fasting for three days and leads the community in um, that in that uh, repentance and soul searching and kind of preparatory mode um, before actually approaching the king and going through all of those motions. And then also at the end of Megillat Esther, there's there's a pretty significant slaughter that like a lot a lot of us you know kind of gloss over, but that's how the the Jewish community ends up um, protecting themselves is um, they're given they're given permission to defend themselves against the um, the kings. Right, they're no longer afraid. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. against the king's armies who are coming against them. Um, so I don't know that there's any like deeper connection there, but those couple of moments reminded me. I mean, the three days of fasting thing is a trope that we see in other places as well. Yeah, right? I was going to say, the, yeah. It is a very powerful, um, it's a very potent uh, ritual mm-hmm. it's, uh, that, uh, that is, gets used infrequently, but when it's used, um, it's usually a successful thing. Right. 
to yeah i mean i think the 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 other example that i was thinking of was in the story of uh, of jonah right mm. where the community at nineveh right so so jonah is this reluctant prophet that god says go off and and tell the people in nineveh that they've you know they've been terrible and if they don't do chuva if they don't repent and come back and you know do the right thing that i'm going to destroy all of them jonah doesn't want to do it he goes through all of these you know like uh, whatever he's kind of a, he's kind of a bungling character in some ways and then when he actually does get there and sort of half-heartedly offer up this prophecy the the whole community of nineveh just is is immediately latches onto that and everybody fasts and he's a little taken aback by the fact that they have actually listened to what he said and i think even a little bit disappointed but they end up fasting for three days right um you're testing my memory i believe you're right yeah okay yeah so it's a thing right i mean like there's there's something about the the three-day fast and sort of self-defense that Mm -hmm. ends up being connected that i see a connection here too Right. Um, I think it's also worth mentioning the weapon itself. Mm, yeah. Um, you don't get many swords in just like Judaism in general. Well, but it's significant because when you do, so what's the other great example of, or well-known example, relatively well-known example of a sword? <laughs> I don't know. What is it? <laughs> it happens with the, the flaming sword. There's a <gasps> couple of them. Oh. Um, yeah. So there's there's this thing that's the the malachs the, mala, the that's that's guarding the um, the Gan Eden, uh stands outside with a flaming sword. Yeah. So the angel outside of the Garden of Eden is like has this whirling flaming sword, and it's actually that's, it's in it's in Torah, right? This isn't a midrash. There's like a line. Well, in that's the where Torah it comes itself from. That says that there's an angel guarding the ga- the ga- guarding the Garden of Eden, with this crazy flaming sword. And then you see. Another malach that is by the story of Bilam, um, with oh. the donkey. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and in some versions, that malach also has a flaming sword. Mm. I think. Hmm. So, um, so swords when you have them, <laughs> but 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 I'm, but I'm thinking like so you have the malach, the malach by the ga- by the ga- by the garden. Yeah. Which just happened. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have the sword again mm-hmm. with Mesushalach. Um, but this one so, has a holy name on a divine na- name, ri- you know, inscribed on it. Right. Um, well, it's interesting because the examples with the swords are all are all. Um, uh, when we talked about the the fasting and the self defense, it it was very this worldly, right? And the examples with the swords all have. Um, a malachis. Divine elements ah. or supernatural kind of things involved with them well i feel like there's very few examples with um it it just it seems interesting that there's a connection between the you know the use of swords and the the angels showing up and um defending against some otherworldly kind of threat i mean there are other this worldly examples of swords i mean like so here's the uh, you know um when david is going to fight goliath Mm -hmm. right um he says, oh, yeah. you mm-hmm. right? You're coming at me with a sword. And David's response is, um, I'm just coming at you with the name, the name, B'Shem mm-hmm. Hashem, mm-hmm. the name of Hashem. 
In other words, you don't need the sword part necessarily right. when you're fighting a human like like Goliath. Right. You just need the shame Hashem. Right. Um, well, that's an interesting example because I feel like that also kind of uh, indicates a, it's a huge turning point in the history of the Jewish people and that narrative and kind of shifting gears mm-hmm. and, and growing up as a nation. And so I think there's there's an element of also kind of pulling away from that direct divine influence in the world right and being more sort of responsible for ourselves and god seem seeming a little bit more distant um you know and and you know david invoking the name but not necessarily like actually holding a sword are you claiming i don't know if there's something here or not I'm, i'm not sure exactly where you're Going. There seems to be a relationship between swords and um, connections to angels and defense and things like that. And it it feels like from this very cursory examination that we've you know come to in this conversation that that conversation between David and Goliath, where he specifically points out, like, you've got this very this worldly sword and I'm here with the name of Hashem, that that's a little bit of a, a turning point um, of... There is there there is no sword, you know. There is no spoon. That it's just sort of in the world in a different way. Possibly, I I would give you this to think about as well. The iron vessel that contains the kings, the the rulers of the shadim. Yeah, yeah. Right? Say more about that. So it's I mean we're talking about swords, right? Mm-hmm. Early human history, we have yeah. you know like early human weapons or the sword is an early human weapon mm-hmm. we have early human materials the, the iron you know like um, right um, i think that's just an interesting thing and what's the iron vessel doing you're talking about this worldly and otherworldly things so yeah add this to your thing that this iron is able to somehow contain the kings and the rulers of the shading and the leeling is that because superman can't see through it is that I thought it was oh, lead. Oh, it's lead. <gasps> yeah. Oh, God. Wow. I just lost like half our audience. Okay. That's <laughs> cool. That's fascinating. Thank you, Alan. Okay. Shade throwers. We had a fabulous uh, listener question this week from someone who tweets as at RVC Bard. Um, and whose Twitter name is write the damn thing parentheses and ban all Nazis. So you are clearly awesome, first of all. <laughs> um, and this person writes loving throwing shade, especially since I'm writing a novel that incorporates quite a bit of Jewish demon lore. You are awesome again. That's amazing. Um, curious about when we'll get an episode about summoning demons by accident or trapping demons in objects. So, um, First of all, write the damn thing. You are fabulous. I will say that many times because it's so clear. Um, But (laughs) um, so we talked a little bit um, in this episode already about trapping demons and objects, right? Mm -hmm. We got a whole mess of them in an iron vessel of some kind, which is, do we know if that's still somewhere? We don't don't know. I don't know. Uh huh. Or that it might have just like accidentally been opened somewhere. I, I maybe I, it's possible. I don't know what happened. Yep. After that, I have a theory. Okay, and um, <laughs> so <laughs> there's. Um, so what about this this idea of summoning demons by accident or just you know demons showing up accidentally, unintentionally? Right. 
Well, first of all, thank you very much. It's a great question. Yes, you are um, an excellent human being. Right. Two parts. <laughs> I think you've driven that home quite well, Mary. <laughs> I'm such a fan. Okay. Okay, yeah. Um, two parts of the question. The first thing about trapping demons, shadim in objects. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Miriam, we did cover that a little bit with this iron vessel. We did. What a cool coincidence. Um, it's worth mentioning... I think this deserves at least one episode of its own, but it's worth mentioning there are other objects throughout his Jewish history that Shadim get trapped in. Um, yeah. Um, bulls. Right. Um, are one example. Yeah. But um, the New York subway. <laughs> if you say so. I'm going to keep coming back to this. Okay. I know I've made subway jokes before. All right. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Um, bulls. Yeah. Yeah. But then there is the question of summoning that. demons by accident, which yeah. is I I kind of bristle a little bit at the way that question is phrased mm-hmm. because um, uh, I just want to remind what's the person's name? Write that. Write the damn thing. Write the damn thing. Yeah. Okay. I want to call. I want to remind what write the damn thing and also our other listeners about. Um, you know, something that's sort of a basic tenet of Shadim uh, in in rabbinic literature, this idea that um, we get it from the Gemara and Brachas, that Shadim are so numerous and constantly around us mm-hmm. and constantly mm-hmm. trying to get at us that the idea of summoning one by accident mm-hmm. seems a little bit m- misleading to me. So, for, mm-hmm. so like, um, I would rather phrase it like this. What can one do to accidentally, what could one do accidentally to um, be, be caught off guard by Shadim that are already always around a person trying to attack them? Does that make sense? Right. The, you don't have to do anything to summon a shade. They're already, Unintentionally already, already there. Unintentionally invite them to do their thing. Right. Yeah. So that's a really huge question. Yeah. Right? Because um, as any... F- philosopher will tell you and he like you know um uh Maimonides or you know he's big on this too that um it, although he, he doesn't talk about the shading part of it but in general um <laughs> that the idea is that you want to arm yourself with the best weapon you can which is knowledge mm-hmm. right so if i know that if i for example leave my water vessel unattended or my book open on the table unattended then shout out to shade the shade then that will allow the shade that's already there trying to attack me yeah uh, give them that opening right right if i know that then i will avoid the attack by closing up the thing covering up the water covering closing the book covering the water whatever the case is right yeah um um, so, uh, I would, I would say it more like that. Does that make sense? Right. Well, and we've had several past episodes where we've talked about those very specific things that the rabbis tell you to guard yourself against, like not hanging out in yucky bathrooms or not, mm-hmm. you know, leave, not having a dusty, grimy kitchen where there's crumbs and stuff all over the place because, because shading, obviously. Right. Right. And I will also just say this, and this will be the last thing I think for this segment, that um, it is, of course, possible to summon Shadim, 
mm-hmm. on purpose, right, for a reason. But to say it accidentally is not is is not really shayach. It's not right, really right. So it's it's an interesting way of phrasing the question. Just in that, first of all, what you said before about shading being everywhere and they just appear when you sort of slip. Mm-hmm. Um, but also summoning accidentally, like it's the you're either summoning kind of implies a degree of intentionality on mm-hmm. the part of the summoner. Um, so, but but I think we should at some point, and now I'm going to be the one to say, let's do mm-hmm. this in a subsequent po- podcast, um, talk a little bit about how and why you would summon a demon intentionally, mm-hmm. which I think we've touched on before because there's been some great heroes of Jewish lore who have done precisely that right. um, for, for the sake of the greater good. Um, but... Uh, yeah, lots of good stuff in there. Cool. Well, write the damn thing, my dear. Um, thank you so much for your question and for listening. Um, and wish you so much success with your book. Yeah. I think you should write it. Write the damn write thing. Write the damn thing. Um, excellent advice for yourself and others. <laughs> and <laughs> um, folks, Shade Throwers, you got a question? Shoot us our way on Twitter at Throwing Shade, S-H-E-Y-D. And we will be happy to take it up in a, a later episode. Okay, Shade Throwers, we're coming to the end of our time, so we're going to give you a couple of quick action items. Um, So uh, one theme that came up in our conversation was just this idea that knowledge really is power, which sounds super trite and kind of elementary school, after school special kind of ish, but it's a thing. It's a real thing. Um, In our first story, um, you know, Methuselah gets the knowledge of who all these demons are and their names and... Um, you know, their search histories or whatever it might have yeah. been. And uh, that's enough to have them running scared. Um, and in in our listener question, we talked a little bit about, you know, sort of knowing the do's and don'ts and understanding what can accidentally bring all these yucky, nasty forces into your life. And that all comes back to learning and just having that knowledge. And um, so uh, my action item for y'all would just be to learn something new this week. And um, to, to constantly be doing that and then sharing that knowledge, obviously. But um, what do you got for us, Alan? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, of course, I'm always in favor of learning something new. <laughs> I didn't think you were going <laughs> to shoot me down. For, but um, do you have another action item? Well, I was thinking something about to some, some other thing that came up was, you know, this idea of paralyzing fear Ooh, yes. and that there are weapons like knowledge, like you said, mm. um, th- that are available to us uh, s- that, you know, are powerful and that are effective against this paralyzing fear. You know, we talked about the shading being um, causing paralyzing fear among all other created beings. Mm-hmm. And then just mentioning the listener question one more time that, um, you know, it says in that same Gemara and Brachas that the only reason why we are able to continue mm-hmm. and to live our lives normally yeah. is because we, we're not able to see all of these shading that are constantly around us trying to attack us. In other words, if we were, we would be paralyzed by fear. Yeah. If we were able to see that, we'd be paralyzed by fear. Right. Um, so, um, you know, knowledge is power, as you said. Right. Well, and it takes somebody to actually pick up the sword. <laughs> and Exactly. And do it to take on the bad guys those evil forces 
Ugh, so good. So much work to do. Amazing. Shade Throwers, thanks for spending some time with us. Always a pleasure. We will catch you again next time on Throwing Shade, Better Living Through Jewish Demonology. See y'all later.